I'm not going to do all the teaching today. I, I am not disappointed. I, you know, anybody knows me, you know I love to preach. Uh, but I do need to give you some scripture, and then you're about to be gifted. I, I have a gift for you. Uh, Phyllis Wozniak is here from Peru, and um, she's a part of our family. She's going to come in just a moment, and she's going to wrap this thing up, tie a bow on it, and let you have an opportunity to get... How would you like to, when you get to heaven, see about a mm, hundred people that were saved because of something you touched? Amen. Okay, so I'm going to give you... How about a thousand? I was listening to you today, and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to get all puffed up in any way. I want to stay humble. But I'm just so grateful, Phyllis, so grateful for the call of God on your life, Amen. you and your husband, Wayne. And I'm just so grateful, all the churches that I've been with, when I've been there, the feeding centers that I've been to, all of the, you know, I've been into Colombia a few occasions. I've been to Peru on several occasions. I'm just so grateful and every time I hear the stories, my heart just leaps because I know that the Lord has privileged me with the opportunity to be a part of the stewardship of that gathering. I'm so, so thankful. So congratulations. You're about to get some word on this. If you haven't been around Freedom for a while, your eyes are about to be opened to some things that we've been a part of for years and years. But I wanted to give you a scripture because I, you know, we've been in this teaching on being more than conquerors. And in the more than conquerors concept, as you're looking at more than conquerors, Romans 8, 37, you find out in Romans 8, 37, 38, and 39, you discover that we have a highly populated universe that you do not realize. You think it's just me and you and, you know, other people on the highways, you know, but the scripture says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure read it that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's what I'm saying. We struggle becoming more than conquerors. Why are God's people not more than conquerors? It has to do with uh, some of the conflict that we have. And, and the Lord doesn't want any of you to be trapped in a life where you are being abused by the enemy. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so we had learned in the Old Testament from Joshua 1.19 that he wants us to be strong and courageous. And he reminds us, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go, which is a principle of God's word. The Lord God is where? He is with you wherever you go. The problem is, is we don't go and we wonder where God is. He says, if you go, I'll go with you. That's what he's saying. So I, I wanted to give you a scripture today. And, and I'm just going to turn things over to Phyllis. But this scripture has been on my heart. And I meditated upon it for several hours. And uh, knowing Phyllis was coming. But I still meditated on my heart all this week. It's First Peter uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 9. Read this, or verse 6 through 9. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So powerful piece of scripture, isn't it? But this is, this is kind of like one of those quick lectures, you know, some of the things, you know, our kids are going back to school on Tuesday and parents are going, hallelujah, praise Jesus, yeah. Uh, but the reason you're doing that 
uh, is, you know, you're kind of thankful you can breathe a little bit, but at the same time, you want them to be safe. Am I right? You want them to do well. Am I right? And so here, these are all quick statements. They're just a few statements. Humble yourselves before or under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Because there's going to be, how many know that you need to be lifted up from the Lord? Anybody understand that? I need God to raise me up. He says, if you're arrogant, you're not going to get the lifting. But if you're humble, I will lift you up at the right times. So people say, why am I constantly being knocked down? Don't be so full of yourself. Just, come on, it's God. Somebody say, it's God. I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I did not save myself. Couldn't do it. Humble yourselves. Somebody say, why do you worship so much? Because we're humbling ourselves before God. We're just worshiping. Come, let us bow down before him and worship him. And then he says this. I want you to humble yourself. He said, if I humble myself, then I might get in trouble. And he says, no, cast all your anxiety. Where are my anxiety folk at? Where are you? Where are you? Where are my warriors? Wave at me. Where are my warriors? Come on. Come on. He said, take your worry, all your anxiety, cast it upon God. He will care for you. Everything that you worry about, give those worries to the Lord and he'll take care of you. I'm telling you how to endure right now. And then he says this, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled. Don't let your flesh run your life. All right? Allow the Spirit of God in you to control you. All right? Be self-controlled. How many need to get out of some sin and mess in your life? Some stuff that you know is not like Jesus. When I tell you that, you say, why? Because sin gives the enemy a place to stand in your life. When you walk in godlessness, it just gives the enemy a, a place to control you. It doesn't mean that your forgiveness has gone away. How many know God is good? Anybody know that? What it does mean is that you've given the enemy. If you are walking in unforgiveness, if you are walking in bitterness, if you are walk, walking in godlessness, if you're walking in areas of your life that are contrary to the word of God, you've given the enemy a porch. You've given him a rocking chair to hang out. You've given him a sledgehammer to beat you up with. Don't do that. He says, be self-controlled, be alert, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone that will live in, in, in a sinful state, in bitterness, because those are the individuals he can devour. He can't mess me while I'm walking with Jesus. You got that? And then he says, resist him, stand firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There are sufferings that we go through. Can I get an amen? Anybody went through some sufferings? Some sufferings and some trouble. You see, it's warfare to win people for the Lord Jesus. It's warfare. To, it's warfare. But we're victorious. Our God is champion. Amen? And I want you to know of some of these victorious moments. And I can tell you all the stories here, but you don't know all the things that you've been involved in. Many... Uh, years ago, in the, many years ago, the 90s, was that a long time ago? I guess it was, but in the 90s was my first trip to South America, uh, to Peru. Uh, I saw God's hand. Uh, it was years ago when I got a call from Wayne uh, and, and Phyllis Wozniak, and they came here before they ever went to Peru. They came here, we blessed them, we prayed for them, we sent them off. We've been a part of their ministry. They, their ministry shifted to uh, Colombia. Uh, listen, folks, Thousands of people have come to the Lord Jesus Christ from those days. And, and Wayne would agree. Wayne is usually here. Everybody remembers Wayne, okay? But I got the best part of him today. We've got Phyllis with us. And she's going to share some word of God with you. Are you guys ready for Phyllis? Come on. Welcome, Phyllis Wozniak. Come on, Phyllis. I love you. Take your liberty. 
Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. What a joy to be in Freedom Fellowship. Amen. Amen. Welcome home. I feel at home, huh? <laughs> I love it here. And I, I actually, I am the one who asked Wayne to let me have a turn here, okay? Because uh, he always gets to come up this way. And I was like, I want my turn at Freedom Fellowship. I love this church. I always enjoy coming. Enjoy your worship. What talent you always have. Amen. Osman and Mauricio, two young men from the country of Colombia. Um, both of them were involved in the military units that formed in the country. Over the last 60-some years, Colombia has suffered violence. Um, and you had the Revolutionary Army, which raised up. They called it the FARC. Uh, they, ra they raised up, and they you know, supposedly wanted to overturn the government and kind of spread things out evenly and... Uh, although today they're all about raising cocaine, <laughs> they forget about what they were supposed to do for the poor. But, um, and then you had another army that raised up to protect the people from the Revolutionary Army, which was called the paramilitaries. And the paramilitary army killed Mauricio's father. They kidnapped him and then murdered him uh, when Mauricio was eight or nine years old. And uh, so he just grew up with a hatred, with everything within him, turned all his anger toward the paramilitary and determined as soon as he could, he was joining the Revolutionary Army, uh, which he did at around 16 years old. Uh, Osman, the same thing, but on the other side. Uh, he, he grew up hating the FARC and determined that as soon as he was old enough, he was going to join the paramilitary unit. Um, the Lord got a hold of both of their lives in very unique ways. Osman was actually shot th three times, three shots, at, all at the same, you know, in the same moment. They shot him three times. He was laying on the ground. The people around him were saying, he's dead, he's dead. But in that moment, he called out to Jesus. His grandmother had taken him, taken him to church as a child. And, and, he, and Jesus responded to him in a very beautiful way. And he said, while well, he, he could hear them saying, He's dead, he's dead. And he thought to himself, I'm more alive than any of you because he had found Jesus in that moment. Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mauricio was in prison for some of his crimes and, and the Lord uh, allowed him to, to come down with a physical ailment uh, involving his muscles. You can see he still, is still walking with a cane. Um, and through that, humbled him and, and began to work in his heart. And Mauricio began to seek Jesus Christ and became uh, a man of God. So these, young, these two young men, the, the cool thing about this testimony is if they had run into each other about six years ago, they would have been seeing who could kill the other one quicker. You know? They would have been out, to, out, out for blood. They hated each other with a violent hatred. And over the last two years, they've sat together in Bible school studying the Word of God together, training to be ministers together, and actually work together in a church plant. Amen? How cool is God? Amen? How cool is God who breaks all situations of enemies when we come to Him? We were enemies of God, and Jesus came to heal that relationship. And those of us who are truly in Jesus Christ know that He wants to heal all broken relationships. Amen? You found it here in Freedom Fellowship, and that's one of the things I love about this church is you know that Jesus came to heal every prejudice, 
every sense of racism, every, every situation where there's hatred, where there's bitterness, where there's abuse, where there's uh, despisement, whatever words we could add in there, Jesus came to heal that. Amen? Praise God for the testimony of Osman and Mauricio. I want to share with you a little bit of the Word of God this morning and some, some other testimonies. Amen? You may ask, okay, so why does the world need missionaries? You know, like why do people need to go somewhere else and share the gospel? Well, first of all, plain and clear, the world needs Jesus. Amen? The, the Hindus may have their millions of gods and the Buddhists may have a thousand and some gods, but... The world still needs the one and only true God, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The Holy Trinity. And we thank God that we have the privilege of knowing him. Why, do the, why does the world need Jesus? First of all, they need Jesus because only Jesus can save. Amen. Simple as it is. There is salvation in no other name. You can call out other names. But you're not going to be saved through calling on those names. There's salvation in no other name because there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Saved. What does it mean to be saved? You know, it, it's, it's kind of a churchy word. But let me tell you a story to help you remember what it means to be saved. Okay? young man named Fabian Navarro from, from the northern coast of Colombia near the city of Cartagena grew up in a very poor home. His family was so poor. His mom was a single mom who had him and then hooked up with another man, had a brother for him. And, uh, you know, and, and Fabian literally had to carry his baby brother to school and he'd set him on the floor beside his desk and he would have to stop and feed his baby brother, change his diaper. He, he had to tend to his baby brother because the family was so poor there was no, they couldn't get anyone else to tend to him. And of course, there's no social programs at all to help in, in, the, in most of the developing world. Then his sister was born and he had to do the same thing with her. So, I mean, he came from a very poor background. He loves his brother, brothers and, brother and sister and he's like a father to them, as you can imagine. But uh, as, he, as he grew a little older and moved into his teenage years, he felt the desire to help his mom out. He wanted to help his family out, help them have more. So he went to the city of Cartagena, Colombia, a beautiful city, but he went there to, to find work. And he did not find work immediately, so he fell into the worst kind of work, which is prostitution. He actually became a gigolo and worked in that for several years, a couple of years, in Cartagena. And one, week, one weekend he went home to take some of the money he had earned to his mom and his family, but he felt, he just felt so dirty, so used, so ashamed of his lifestyle that he wanted to end his life. So he looked, he found some rope, climbed up in a tree. And when he was sitting up in the tree, tying the rope around a branch, a pastor walked by. And the pastor looked up in the tree and saw Fabian. And he didn't say like Jesus, Zacchaeus, you come down. But the pastor climbed the tree. He went up in the tree and sat on a limb beside Fabian and began to talk to him and share Jesus Christ with him. Fabian gave his heart to the Lord that day. He was saved. He was saved from eternal damnation. If the pastor hadn't come by, if someone hadn't come by to share Jesus with him, he would have hung himself that day. But he was saved from eternal damnation. Gave his heart to the Lord, 
became a student in our Bible school, training for ministry, a powerful, incredible young man, full of the joy of the Lord, knows what it means to be changed and to, to meet Jesus. Amen? To have your whole life turn around. So we, we love Fabian. Thank God for him. Okay? The, another, another thing that only Jesus can do is dignify. Only Jesus can dignify, give us dignity, give us worth. Amen? One of my favorite passages of the scripture is found in Ezekiel chapter 16. And we're not going to read it this morning. It's kind of a long passage. But I would really encourage you to write down this, this text that's projected up here and read it at some point this afternoon, okay? It's an incredible testimony of God's love for Israel. But you can also apply it to you. Apply it to your own life. I know it definitely applies to mine. But the text, the text tells us, God, God tells Israel, when you were born, you were unwanted. You were unloved. As a matter of fact, he says, you were like a child that had been born and nobody had even bothered to clean it up. I told the first service about my husband when our first daughter was born. She was born in Dominican Republic when we were missionaries there. And, uh, and uh, the doctor brought her out before they cleaned her up. And, of course, my husband had never seen a newborn baby. So he, you know, he sees her with this blood and kind of mucus stuff on her, you know. And he's like, no, no, that's not my child. That's not my child, you know. The funny thing is the Dominican Republic, the population is mostly black. So they're like three black fathers standing behind him, you know. And they're like, gringo, estupido, that's your child. You know, I mean, look at us. It's not obviously, you know. <laughs> so my husband always tells our oldest daughter, I loved you from the second time I saw you. You know, it's like, yeah, he kind of rejected her there the first time. But, you know, you think about it, that's what God is saying in this text. He says, Nobody wanted you. You were a dirty child that had been thrown in the trash dump. Everybody just walked by you and like, oh, no, too dirty. Oh, no. No, it's not my problem. And he says, but I came along, and I picked you up, and I washed you off, amen, and then I dressed you, and I put jewels on you, and I made you beautiful. I gave you worth. It's what God says to Israel, and I believe he says it to every one of us. Amen? He says it to every one of us. God is the one who gives us dignity. And I don't know about you, but I struggled through most of my childhood and teenage years trying to find out who I was, trying to feel like I was worth something, trying to feel like I was, I was acceptable in this world. But Jesus, when Jesus found me, and I began to hear what he says about me. And I began to read his word and understand how he sees me. Then that changed my whole outlook on life. And I began to realize I am worthy. I am worthy of being equal to everyone else. Amen. Not better than, not less than, equal to everyone else. Amen. I thank God for this church because I see that here, an understanding that we're all equal. Nobody's better than anybody else. There's nothing, not economic level, not our race. There's nothing, our education, nothing makes one human being of more worth than another. Amen? Amen. Jesus loves us all equally. Amen? And I thank God that, for that, that he is the one who gives us Gives us dignity. I'm going to tell you the story of Elkin. He's also a young man from Columbia, from the capital city. And he uh, plays drums, got in a rock band, 
as a as a teenager and started you know experimenting with drugs, but then got into it heavier and uh, more heavily. I guess is the more correct way to say that. Until he became a drug addict, ended up living on the street, losing everything he had, living on the streets of Bogota, a city that's about 8,500 feet above sea level, very cold at night. And he was living on the streets of that city for over three years. His hair grew out and was matted and dirty. His beard grew out. It was matted and dirty. His clothes were matted and, and, and dirty and, and, you know, with strings, you know, ripped. And, and he, his face was dirty. He was eating out of trash cans, literally, to survive, sleeping on cardboard on the streets for over three years. And one day he went into a, a center where they tried to help the homeless and they gave him, they allowed them to take a shower, gave him a change of clothes and gave him a hot meal. And, and as he was leaving that place that day, the lady said, young man, you're welcome to come back anytime for a, for a hot meal, a shower and a change of clothes. And Elkin responded to that lady, ma'am, I don't need a change of clothes. I need my life to change. And when the lady who worked in the, in the center with the homeless, homeless heard him say that, she realized he's ready to come off the streets. Not everybody's ready to come off the streets, but she understood he's ready to come off the streets. So she called the pastor. The pastor came and sat down and talked to Elkin, shared the gospel with him. Elkin asked Jesus Christ into his heart. The pastor in the local church discipled him for just a little under one month and sent him to us as a student in the Bible school with the call of God on his life. Amen. So like a less than a month off the street, he is now a student in the Bible school. Amen. He's already graduated now. Yeah, uh, and as a matter of fact, his pastor is now the national leader of our denomination there in Columbia. And Elkin is pastoring the church in his absence. Amen. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus gave dignity to Elkin. Jesus gave him a beautiful wife. A, a, a beautiful son, and we just thank God for the way he can lift someone up who feels like they're nothing and is treated like nothing. People walk by him, ignored him, crossed the street not to have to come near him, treated as if he wasn't even there, but God gave him dignity. Only Jesus can dignify. Amen. The third thing I want to share with you is that only Jesus can transform transform. I mean, your kids have transformers. And, and you know when you play with it and you do all that bending, some of them I can't figure out exactly how to bend them, I mean, but you, you do all that bending, it, it forms something totally different to what it was initially. And, and I was sharing with the pastor yesterday that I read recently that many of our churches are, are moving away from teaching people that Jesus transforms lives and, and they're only preaching a gospel that Jesus wants to help you be a little bit better. You know, he just wants to make, make you a little better than you were. But I, hey, my heart breaks to think that Jesus hung on the cross just to make us a little bit better. No, he didn't, he didn't suffer the agony of the cross just to make us a little bit better. He suffered the agony of the cross to break the chains of Satan from on our lives, to transform us completely. Amen. To transform us completely. We, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. You know the text. If any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creature, a new creation. Amen. Not a little bit better than he was, <laughs> but a totally new 
person. Amen. Uh, we met in this pastoral couple, and we had been with them in different services. But one day they invited us to, our, to their home, and the wife told us that she would like to share her testimony with us. So we were like, we'd love to hear it. So she starts talking and said, my first husband was a horrible man. He was evil. He, he had a job in the mines, but he would drink. He would use up all his money on his booze. He would often actually fall asleep in the, in the ditches or in the gutters along the street in his own urine. And our, and our children, with great embarrassment, would have to go out and pick him up and bring him home. And then sometimes he would come home drunk, and he would beat me, and he would beat our kids, and, and he would curse at us and say horrible things to us. And, and, and there were times when he would actually lock us out of our home at night and make us stay outside in one of the highest cities in the world, okay? I'm, I'm talking about cold. I'm talking about we had students come from that city, and their ears were red for like a year after they came down from that city. I mean, just... Uh, Evil man, an evil man. And she goes on and she says, but he died and I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, like you, my husband and I are kind of like, uh. <laughs> then she goes on and she says, but now I have another husband. He's a good man. He loves God. He fears God. He loves us. He's so good to me. And he's a pastor. He's so good to our children, and he blesses us, and he shares with us. And I just thank God for my second husband. And she, and she stopped, and my husband and I, are, you know, we're like, wow, you know, we're really sorry. We didn't say this, but we're thinking in our head, we're really sorry you had to go through life with that bad man, and we're really thankful that you have this good man by your side now. But we think you might need a little counsel about that I'm glad thing, you know. <laughs> he died and I'm glad. But then, she <laughs> but then she continued and said, Pastors, it's the same man. It's the same man. That first man I described was my husband before he met Christ. The second man is my husband now after meeting Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Only Jesus can transform lives. Totally, totally change lives. Amen. Totally change a life. And I want to tell you that, you know, in, in our culture, in our culture here in the United States, there are things in our culture that are not in agreement with the Bible. We need to change those. And there are things in our culture that are biblically correct. And we can hold on to those and say, thank God, that's a part of my culture. And that's true with every group of people, every country you go to in the world. There are things we can hold on to, but anything in our culture or in us or in even our family nature. My husband grew up in a very angry, violent home. And we had a romance of five days before we got married. <laughs> It's an interesting story, but we were friends for two years, but I just thought he's a good friend. He's older, he's younger than I am, so he's not the man God has for me, and, and, uh, but then I realized I did love him, but I was leaving in five days to go to the mission field, so five days we, uh, we shared, we told each other we loved him, we had our first kiss, we made, we got engaged, we called our parents, told them we were engaged, we made semi-plans for the wedding, and child, five days, we did all that, Okay. Five days. 
And uh, so when I got married, I had never really seen him angry. And I didn't know that aspect of his background. And the first couple of times I saw my husband angry in marriage, it just scared me to death. He, he would get so mad and he, he would say words and, and phrases that would just kill me or just break my heart. I'd never heard anyone talk like that. And, of course, when he was angry, I didn't talk much. But after he would calm back down, I would say, sweetheart, you can't be like that. You're in Christ now. You can't be like that. And he would make excuses for it. But that's the way my family is. We're all like that. That's the way I grew up. His mom and dad, literally, I mean, they, were, they, had, they had to be carried to the emergency room on various occasions from the abuse from their parents. And so, and, and so he, you know, that was what he knew. But as long as he was making excuses for it, he didn't get past it. And one time his father came to visit us with his, with his uh, stepmom and his, his uh, what do you call it, stepsister? Forgot what the word is in English. Um, and his father got angry at, at my husband's stepsister while they were there at the house. And his father blew up and did, you know, same facial expressions my husband made and started saying the same ugly things that my husband would say. And while that was going on, we had the two little girls at that time. My husband went over. He picked up our baby, and he walks over, and he, said, and he takes Maritza's hand. She was a little older, uh, probably two years old, and, or maybe three. And then he comes over to me. He says, can we go to the bedroom? And I'm like, yeah. So we all walk back to the bedroom, and my husband set us on the bed, and he knelt down in front of us crying and said, I just realized how ugly my anger is. And I promise you, I'm going to change. And he began to pray and fast and weep. And every time he'd kind of get a little angry, he'd go back. He would cry. He would ask forgiveness again of us and of God. And he would, and he would just said, Jesus, change me, change me. And I'm telling you, God did an incredibly transforming, incredible transforming work in my husband. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus does that. So don't hold on to anything in your life and say, well, that's who I am. That's the way I am. That's the way my family is. If, it does not, if it's not in agreement with the word, you need to give it to Christ. You need to confess it, and you need to let Christ help you change it. Amen? And his power, I'm telling you, his power is in you. You can do it. You can do it because he's going to help you do it. Amen? Only Jesus can transform. Praise the Lord. So back in the 1800s, in, in England, they began, there was a move of God, great revivals, and people decided they needed to take the gospel of Christ to other places. And so many English missionaries or several English missionaries went out to the islands of the South Pacific and began to tell people about Christ. Well, the science of anthropology had begun at that time, and so anthropologists were kind of mad that these Christians were going in to these distinct cultures and sharing the gospel, and people were kind of starting to change and, and leave some of their, you know, violent and ungodly ways. And so the anthropologist wrote an article. One, one uh, famous anthropologist wrote an article for one of the major newspapers of London, England. And in the article, he complained about the Christians, you know, messing up the culture and, you know, it's just not right that they would mess with these cultures. They need to leave the culture so we can go in and study them and, and you know, and, and see how different they are. And, and a rebuttal argument was written by a famous 
world traveler at that time. And I want to read it with you. you. You've got it in front of you, but I'll read it so we can all follow it. The transformation, what he said in this, in this article was, the transformation of savages in the islands of the South Pacific is not something that should be taken lightly. If by chance you are shipwrecked on an unknown coast, you will pray to God that a missionary had gone before you. The fact of whether or not a missionary had preceded you would de determine the difference between being invited to dinner or being the dinner. Okay. <laughs> Think about that a moment. Let it sink in, okay? The fact of whether a missionary had gone before you would make the difference. There are things that need to be changed. There are things that need to be transformed. You can't be a Christian and be a cannibal. Sorry, folks. <laughs> you know? There are things that have to be changed. Amen? And believe it or not, that famous world traveler was Charles Darwin. Wow. wow, huh? He realized the need for missionaries, although he did great harm later in his life. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus can dignify. And only Jesus can transform. That's our message today. I want you to take that home with you. I want you to realize it. That's why you need people to go to other places, but it's also why you need to go to your place. Amen? Whether it be your neighborhood or your job or your school, you need to tell others about Jesus Christ. Amen? So last time my husband was here, we, were, we knew that we were going to be going to Peru uh, we, we had been in Peru for eight years, left there, went to Colombia. We're in Colombia 11 years, left there in December of last year and went back to Peru. Uh, do I have time to tell them just a little funny, story, funny aspect of that? One of the funny things about that is, uh, I mean, to us it's funny now looking back. It wasn't funny at the time. When we were in Peru before, we were robbed on a number of occasions uh, one day they, they lifted up the hood of our car, and while we're standing yelling police, they had the, the guard on the street on the ground with a gun pointed at his head. My husband went down. They pointed the gun at him, told him to get back in the house. And they had the hood open, and they just got their tools, and they're taking everything out slowly, taking their own good time, you know, taking the, light, the headlights out, the radiator out. Just. So we had our car robbed. They broke into our home. Watches were snagged off of our, every one of our arms. Uh, you know, my, my two daughters, my husband and I, all of us had watches stolen off of our arms. Um, my husband was robbed at gunpoint and whistle whipped uh, you know, on one occasion. And then another occasion, he was robbed with a knife to his throat. Uh, another occasion, he got kind of wild after that. I think he just thought he was invincible uh, because he stopped at a stoplight, and a man walked up and pointed a pistol at him. My husband's like, you're not going to shoot me. We're at a stoplight. Look at all the people around here. Man, I, I was scared to death when he told me that story. I'm like, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> but anyway, all of that happened in Peru, and then we, we got the call from one of our national, international leaders who said, would you be willing to go to Colombia and do the same thing you did here? Now, I don't know if there's anybody from Colombia here, but... You know, we had the same idea about Colombia that most Americans have. Oh, it's just horrible, you know, all those uh, drug, drug lords. And, and we're like, and my husband literally, I mean, you know his sense of humor. He's like, he tells our national, international leader, my mommy don't like for me to go dangerous places. <laughs> but we prayed about it. We went to Peru. We spent 11 years there. 
and never once were victims of violence or, or, or crime, which was hilarious. And then we, we get the, the call and the invitation to go back to Peru. Do you realize we didn't even remember any of those crimes committed on us in Peru until we got back there? It was like it wasn't even a part of our memory set. Our memory set was all about the students, the churches, the pastors, the friends, the ministry. Uh, you know, all of those crimes didn't even factor in there. It's just following God, man. Just follow God. Doing what he calls you to do. Don't worry about whether they're good or bad there. He will keep you. He's our protector. Amen? So anyway, we uh, finished up on a high note in Columbia. Just a few things that happened toward the end of the year. We had our largest graduating class in the Bible school there. Uh, and that was, that was an exciting way to step out of the scene for a while. Uh, we, our students, finding out that we were going to be leaving the country, came from all over the country and gave us a surprise farewell party, which was just a wonderful, wonderful blessed gift to us. Uh, them all coming in from different places and being with us. We had a farewell, farewell motorcycle trip with a number of students, which was a lot of fun. Um, we planted our 31st church in Columbia with a young couple who had studied in the Bible school and who had served as my co-pastors in the church I planted there. So we praise God for that. Uh, anybody need some Baskin-Robbins ice cream there? That, I get a little, yeah, okay, let's move on. Um, we did... We married three couples. That says three weddings, but it was actually two weddings. We married three couples like the week before we left the country. Uh, all, all six of them were students. As a matter of fact, last year we married 16 people, 15 of which were students. Okay, <laughs> So only one student married somebody that hadn't been a student. They hadn't met while he was studying. So praise God for that. And all of these are church planners. All of these kids are either church planning a new church or pastoring a church that was already existent. Amen. Uh, some of our students that we had that had studied with us and we had married them in previous years have now had children. And when they heard we were leaving the country, they, you know, called my husband. We want you to come and dedicate our son before you leave. So he made several trips dedicating babies of our students. And so that's exciting for us. And we appointed new directors to the school. It's a couple that had taught with us every year from the time we began the school. So they were just like the right fit for the job. And we're thankful for them. Um, we had made a trip and, uh, in which we were able to participate in a ceremony with 25 couples lying in the aisle, all dressed up except for us because we went there on our motorcycles. But uh, <laughs> they were all dressed up for a beautiful day of renewing their vows okay and I, you know my husband right he is so sentimental so I mean you know, while we're renewing vows I'm trying to catch his eyes you know because I mean, you want to look at me while he's saying you know I'll love you forever you know and he's kind of like looking up in the sky you know? so after it was all over I I, I, I was kind of mad at him you know I wasn't I was just kind of bothered about it I'm like why wouldn't you look me in the eyes He's like, I knew I would cry. You know, like, <laughs> and see, it's, he was having to lead all the other men. He was afraid he would just mess it up for all the guys, you know. But anyway, it was a very special moment for us, except he was looking the other way. <laughs> and then we moved back to Peru on December the 5th of last year and uh, back into the beautiful country of Peru that we love so much. 
And we're just thrilled to be back there. When we were there before the eight years we were there previously, before Columbia, we had 150 graduates go through the program. We had to get the school up and running uh, on that occasion. And 150 graduates, most of whom are involved in ministry in some aspect today. We planted, they planted 35 churches, uh, our, our graduates from when we were there before. And, uh, but the school, they had let the school close down about five years ago. It's about 10 blocks from the ocean. And, um, and it's uh, about seven months of the year you never see the sunshine in Lima. So it's very cold. And it's right now, actually, this is their winter. Uh, so it's very cold. And so all the humidity just really messed up the bathrooms, all the ironwork around the building, the varnish on the outside doors. So we went in, and thankfully, uh, uh, one of the former students set up a social media page for me, and all I had to do at night was just type in there, tomorrow we're going to be doing this. And I'd have students, former students, show up to do the work, okay? So all the people you see working here are students who, who were, studied with us on our first tour in, in Peru, and they all came back to help us fix the building up. Uh, get those doors refinished and paint and get all that metal work uh, cleaned up and repainted. So actually some of it we actually had to change. It was completely eaten through. But the Lord helped us get the building ready. And on the 4th of March, we began classes in Peru. Amen. With 18 students there in Peru. So we're thankful for the young men and women that came out. And we, we foresee a larger number coming in of new students next year. Uh, because we've had more time now to get the word out that we're back and the school is up and running. But we have 18 students called to ministry. Uh, some of them we call our Bible school grandchildren because they have found the Lord in the churches that our former students planted. Okay? So our former students go out, plant a church, win young people the Lord, and then we go back to Peru and they send those people, those young people, to the Bible school to prepare for ministry. So... That's always an exciting thing for us. Amen? And these are our first semester students in Columbia. We, Columbia, we still have our hands in the Columbia School. We're assessing it. We have a director there on campus, but we're raising funds for it and trying to help them, you know, follow through with it. And I'm going there actually when I leave the States. I'm going to Columbia for two weeks and then back to Peru. I'll be doing a class and talking with the new directors and kind of assessing the work that's being done there. So we're still working with Colombia and now in Peru. And before I go further and finish this up, I just want to say we thank God for our, for our friendship with you and for our, you know, partnership with you. We really thank God for you. You're an awesome church. I love coming to this church. I really do. And I am bummed that it was so long since my last time being here. I always enjoy your worship. It's incredible. Uh, you're a blessed church in that aspect. But I just, I love the blend. I love the blend. I love seeing people together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being people of God. Amen. Thank you for being people of God. And thank you for being people who care about your world. So let me quickly tell you how you can care, okay? Uh, we have, as I said, we're still working with the Bible School in Columbia. And with the Bible school in Peru, we have 44 students in Colombia this year. Some of those are, are on their, doing their internship, but uh, we have a great group of students in Colombia and in Peru. And how can you help? Well, I think most of you already know. Back on the back table, we have some sponsorship certificates, and we would like to ask you to take one, one student and 
volunteer to support that student this year. All you have to give over the next 12 months is a grand total of $300. Okay? You can't hardly send your kid to elementary school for that, right? $300 over the next year. Uh, you can give it any way you want, and it explains, I think, on the card how to do that, or your pastors can take, you can give it at any point during the year. They know how to get it to us, okay? Um, and so we would like for you to go by the table, uh, pick up one of these, sign up for a student, and just step out there by faith and say, over the next year, I'm going to give $300 to help that young man or woman prepare themselves to do ministry. And, you know, I told you, I said the, the, the message was, why do we need missionaries? But the three examples I gave were not won by missionaries. Okay? So you may be thinking, well, those were just pastors that won those kids to the Lord. So why do we need missionaries? Well, the missionaries are training pastors, okay? That's what we're about. We're training pastors so they can go out there and win their people, amen? Win their nation to Christ. So help us support a student, please. We appreciate that. And my husband and I, you know, we're, get, we're getting older now. When you get older, you want to write things down, okay? So we've decided to write a few books. Uh, the Lord has just kind of guided us in that way. My, my husband's uh, books about apologetics, creationism, uh, he's brought those here before. You've seen those. We have both of those here. Fascinating books that if you haven't read them, just make you love God that much more. Make you that much more in all of him. And this past year, we wrote a book together of testimonies from the field. Um, and we have that back there on the back table. And this is just one way that we kind of provide our travel here in the States. It kind of helps us. So you're helping us by buying these books. They're $10 a piece. And you may think, well, I don't need it. Well, buy it and give it to somebody else then. Okay? <laughs> Amen? This is a great book for, for someone who's not a Christian. And, and the other two books are great for your kids that are in school being taught in their classrooms that they evolved from monkeys and whatever else, right? So um, we appreciate your partnership with us. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you. And remember, only Jesus can save only Jesus can dignify and only Jesus can transform. May the Lord bless you.